we've now been accepted by Sri Yukteswarji to receive his training. And believe it or not, in last, the last class, we only really spent one day at the ashram in Serampur. And now we continue with our companion, our master, Paramahans Yogananda, as he heads back to Calcutta. And we had said last class, he's not yet seen his family. He came straight to his guru. And now here we are, chapter 12, Years in My Master's Hermitage, page 106. <clears throat> Son, I am happy for us both. Father and I sat in the evening calm. You have found your guru, as in miraculous fashion, I once found my own. The holy land of Lahiri Mahashaya is guarding our lives. Your master has proved no inaccessible Himalayan saint, but one nearby. My prayers have been answered. You have not, in your search for God, been permanently removed from my sight. As I was reading these words, this interesting thought came to me. We are sometimes so caught up in our own, even in our own spiritual desire, we forget that there are so many other people around us, each of whom have just an, as an intimate relationship with God as we have. And each of whom God is guiding their lives and their karmas and their desires just as much as he's guiding ours. And you see over here the sweetness of, it wasn't just Yogananda's desire that I need my guru, I want to go to the Himalayas, I want to, you know, leave behind the, the samsar, this world. But intersecting with that was also the tangent of his father's prayers. And God had to find that perfect balance. Isn't this amazing? Because we're so self-absorbed in our lives, in our spiritual journeys, in everything we do. And in certain cases, you know, it's, it's appropriate. It would be too much for us to try to take every reality into account all the time. Easier to stay true to our reality at least, which is hard enough. But in God's eyes, he's really looking at this entire web so intricately connected and intersecting. And he has to ensure that not just our spiritual karma and our own freedom is being promoted, but it's also being promoted in a way that it actually works for those around us, those other karmas who our karma is going to collide with, interact with, intersect right with at the right time. And so isn't it just beautiful? And it at least gives us an opportunity to pause for a moment and just appreciate that while you are indeed special to God, but everyone is special to God. And Master's father was no regular, ordinary human being either. He was Lahiri Mahashaya's <laughs> disciple. In fact, Yogananda's guru and his father are guru bhais. They're brother disciples. They have the same guru. And so you just see how, as he's saying, Lahiri Mahashaya is guarding both our lives 
And my prayers have been answered too. It's not just that Mukunda's search for God is so strong and so real, so, you know, to hell with everybody else's desires and prayers. No, everybody else matters. And sometimes when we look at our lives and we wonder why certain of our deeper desires, more uplifted of our desires, aren't being fulfilled, it helps perhaps also to take a look around and just see what would that, how would that impact other people? What are their realities? What's their next step? How will they grow as well? And relax sometimes into this thing that, okay, if it needs to happen, there'll be a divine timing to it. There will be a reality just like here. Your guru is just nearby. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to leave anything. You can even continue your own studies. In fact, your guru is asking you to continue your own studies. See how even Yogananda's father's own deeper layers of desire and hopes for his child are being simultaneously fulfilled as Yoganandaji's own spiritual journey unfolds. It's, it's just a fascinating reality that would help each of us to come back to every now and then. Oh, wait a minute. God has a lot of other people's lives also to be uplifting, to be moving, to be growing along with ours. <clears throat> Father was also pleased that my formal studies would be resumed. He made suitable arrangements and I was enrolled the following day in Scottish Church College in Calcutta. Little uh, just glimpses of their life to help us get a sense of what's going on, you know, something very real, not just always in the lofty peaks of superconscious awareness, but also just, okay, they lived their lives just as you and I would. But what changed their perspective of their lives was that consciousness that they mm -hmm. developed. Happy months sped by. My readers have doubtless made the perspicacious summarize, those are the words Master uses, that I was little seen in the college classrooms. The Serampore hermitage held a lure too irresistible. Master accepted my ubiquitous presence without comment. To my relief, he seldom referred to the halls of learning. <clears throat> Though it was plain to all that I was never cut out for a scholar, I managed to attain minimum passing grades from time to time. And again, Yogananda's priorities, just very clear, his own guru, knowing what Yogananda's strengths are, what his purpose is, and not creating any conflict other than that you need to do this, this is part of the karma, this is part of the mission that your life is going to take you towards, but that's it. As long as you're doing it, that's fine. And so in our own lives, there are certain things you'll see, it's just, it's part of your karma. You just have to do it. You don't have to be the best at it. You don't have to excel at it. You don't have to waste too much of your time at it. You just have to do it. It's just part of a responsibility that exists. And it's important for us to know those things. What are those responsibilities that aren't the biggest, but just need to be there? Daily life at the ashram flowed smoothly. My guru awoke before dawn. From here on, we'll get glimpses into Sri Yukteswarji's personality, his daily flow, 
Um, and you'll see over here, Master was receiving from Sri Yukteswarji not just his teachings, his wisdom, words, but he was more than anything else receiving from Sri Yukteswarji the example and the vibrational attunement of how he would then align his own life accordingly, also according to his own nature, but in attunement with that um, pole star that Sri Yukteswarji became for him. My guru awoke before dawn. Lying down or sometimes sitting on the bed, he entered a state of samadhi. It was simplicity itself to discover when master had awakened. Abrupt halt of stupendous snores. A sigh or two. Perhaps a bodily movement. Then a soundless state of breathlessness. He was in deep yogic joy. Breakfast did not follow. First came a long walk by the Ganges. Could we stop there for a of moment? Of course. <laughs> I like the fact that Sri Yuteshwar didn't jump right after their meditation and get busy in their activities or thinking about breakfast and let's eat this, let's eat that and let's go to the kitchen. Long walks followed in silence with Sri Yuteswar, which helped me tremendously to realize how important is how we enter into our daily lives after our meditation. To leave that little bridge where you just don't jump into the next activity, but allow the benefits, the results of that meditation is still lingering in your body, in your consciousness, and probably for both of them, coming back from that state of super consciousness that they went just perhaps with a few couple of Kriyas, so then coming back to their body consciousness by walks, by movement, so bit by bit, they will come back into this world. But I loved that transition that Sri Yuteshwar advised, Sri Yuteshwar advised um, to Yogananda just walk, be in silence, and, and again, come back to your day, to your life, to your karma, to your dharma, but with that little gap where you just, before do anything else, just center yourself and bit by bit come to the world. First came a long walk by the Ganges, then a bath and the midday meal. Its preparation according to Master's daily directions had been the careful task of young disciples. My Guru was a vegetarian, but before embracing monkhood, however, he had eaten eggs and fish. His advice to students was to follow any simple diet which proved suited to one's constitution. Sri Yukteswarji didn't fuss too much 
about diet and even master didn't fuss too much about diet however when he went to the united states he talked a lot about diet from the perspective of helping uh, a fairly uh, meat eating heavy country to begin to move towards a more simpler diet that was both processed by the body more easily and gave the body a far more uh, refined quality of prana than a fairly meat-eating diet would do. Goes on to then share that Sri Yukteswar ate little, often rice colored with turmeric or juice of beets or spinach, and lightly sprinkled with buffalo ghee or melted butter. <laughs> That's certainly a very, very simple meal. Another day he might have lentil dal or chana curry with vegetables. For dessert, mangoes or oranges with rice pudding or jackfruit juice. I love the fact that Yogananda gives us even these details of Sri Yuteshwar's diet and what he liked and his, you know, usual discipline in terms of diet just so many wonderful details that helps us to get to know Sri Yuteswar's daily flow more just makes them real to us yeah. also you know just like you can sit and you can visualize them just going through these various activities and it helps as disciples especially it helps create that inner attunement through holding those images in your mind. He then goes on to say, Visitors appeared in the afternoon. A steady stream poured from the world into the hermitage tranquility. Everyone found in Master an equal courtesy and kindness. To a man who had realized himself as a soul, not the body or ego, the rest of humanity assumes a striking similarity of aspect. What does that mean? To somebody who has united his own awareness and identification back to the source, back to be realizing themselves as a piece almost of God, an aspect of God, to them everybody looks like that same aspect of God. When you are no longer identified to your body or to your ego, then and only then can you truly begin to see every person in this world also just as free as you are, just as united to God as you are, just as, you know, not conditioned or um, you don't, you no longer hold them to their personality, to their thoughts, to their karma, because you just see beyond, just as you've been able to see beyond in your own life. And that is why it's so important for us to establish that. And it cannot just be an outward thing. A lot of people say, yeah, I try every day to, you know, see God in everyone. And the first question is, are you even able to see God in yourself? And not just see, but to experience God in yourself. Because when you start doing that, the natural response to that is, oh, of course, he's in everyone, he's in everything. And that's, of course, how a master sees all of us. She, uh, master, our master, our guru would say to his disciples, 
uh, in America says, if you could only see yourselves as I see you, I see you all as light. Now isn't that a, going to be a beautiful vision one day for us to have when we could just see everyone and everything just as light. And not only to see but to relate to that light and to interact from that understanding because that's really what makes a difference not only to perceive it, to understand it but then how you relate to that consciousness of light. The impartiality of saints is rooted in wisdom. Masters have escaped Maya. Its alternating faces of intellect and idiocy no longer cast an influential glance. Sri Yukteswar showed no special consideration to those who happened to be powerful or accomplished. Neither did he slight others for their poverty or illiteracy. He would listen respectfully to words of truth from a child and openly ignore a conceited pundit. Again, relating to people as they truly are, not as the world has made them, not as the facade they have created around themselves. That's a tough one for many of us because we, of course, more easily judge people based on how they look outwardly, how they dress, how Behavior. they act, how they behave. But the masters penetrate right through it. And as we practice our own sadhana, we've all seen and realized little by little that that awareness, that sensitivity also begins to develop in us. In the beginning, that sensitivity can be a little jarring. Suddenly you're feeling something else from people, people who were your friends, but now you're feeling something else from them, your own family members who you loved greatly and had great attachment towards, but now the vibration behind their outward form is becoming more and more accessible to you. And you start to see the disconnect between the outer and the inner. And a master, of course, is seeing it all, but he's unable, he's able both not to judge and not to be affected by it and in fact use it to penetrate deeper into them and that should be our intention as well but in the beginning it's quite a, it's an uncomfortable process let's just pause for a moment and see this picture i don't know if you can see of sri uteshwar i love his pose his spine i mean that those eyes, you know, so penetrating. It just from one picture, from one posture, so much emanates from, I mean, you can perceive what may, might have been to be in his presence. Eight o'clock was the supper hour and sometimes found lingering guests. My guru would not excuse himself to eat alone. None left his ashram hungry or dissatisfied. Sri Yukteswar was never at a loss, never dismayed by unexpected visitors. Scanty food would emerge a banquet under his resourceful direction. Yet he was economical. 
His modest funds went far. Be comfortable within your purse, he often said. Extravagance will buy you discomfort. Beautiful words. And again, just the practicality of the Guru's ability to take anything that this world has to offer and just lift it up beyond the world altogether. Be able to receive anyone, be never dismayed by anything unexpected that happens, but responding moment by moment to whatever life places before us. I mean, that's just, it's a hard thing to do because our tendency is always to, you know, need to plan ahead, need to see ahead, need to know ahead. Yet if we're comfortable in the present moment, if we are rest within, at rest within ourselves, from that point of rest comes so much clarity, so much power, so much wisdom to be able to take any situation and to open it up and to uplift it. Quiet evenings often, quiet evening hours often brought one of my guru's discourses, treasures against time. His every utterance was measured and chiseled by wisdom. A sublime self-assurance marked his mode of expression. It was unique. He spoke as none other in my experience ever spoke. His thoughts were weighed in the delicate balance of discrimination before he permitted them outward garb. Not only are the words just so beautiful and poetic, but they're just, they're just so right, so appropriate. I mean, every word that Yoganandaji has written in this book is just, it tells you exactly what you need to know. I mean, just that line, his thoughts were weighed in the delicate balance of discrimination before he permitted them outward garb. Every word that issued out of Sri Yukteswarji. I mean, Master could perceive how Sri Yukteswarji knew everything he wanted to say and would say only just that after he had found that perfect balance in his own consciousness. Master would tell Swami Kriyananda, uh, Swamiji as a young monk was with Paramahansa Yogananda, especially when he was writing a lot of his major works, the Bhagavad Gita, his interpretations on the Bible, his interpretations on the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. And uh, Swamiji would say that Master would just lift up his eyes and then he'd just start speaking, verse after verse, thing after thing. And in the beginning, Swami, who was not used to somebody working from that level, he was just he couldn't figure out what's going on because the way we know is, okay, I read a little, then I pause, then I think, then I, you know, but there was just this conscious flow, a stream of consciousness that just came out of them that um, once you're connected to the source, everything that comes out is just divinely inspired. And to try to aspire ourselves to that state is what the saints hold up for us in their example and what we see through these words and it starts to hit me especially and I say wow how many words just carelessly slip out 
how many times I say things that I have no intention of actually saying or fulfilling or have no power behind it. Uh, I don't even believe in them myself. So much of it is pretension. So much of it is useless. And then you look at a master and say, wow, his every thought was weighed in the delicate balance of discrimination before he allowed them, permitted them an outward carve. I was conscious always that I was in the presence of a living manifestation of God. The weight of his divinity automatically bowed my head before him. <laughs> Beautiful. And the fact that Yogananda never forgot, even for once, that he was in the presence of the divine. I mean, I was thinking last night, if I could always remember <laughs> 24 hours of the day, that even if I don't see my guru in his physical form, or even if I cannot perceive the divine presence like so tangibly, but still I remember constantly that I'm surrounded by that presence. I know my actions, my words, my thoughts would be so different. And I think that's the problem for many of us on the spiritual path. When we keep forgetting that we are constantly surrounded by the presence of the great ones of the divine they are watching over us and they are also watching us <laughs> <laughs> what we do and meditation really helps to develop that awareness that i'm constantly in their presence therefore let me make an effort and make sure i behave appropriately i have the right kind thoughts and I use my words to uplift and to help other people rather than to use them to let the world how much I know and what everyone else should do and how they should behave and let, let me teach them a lesson. I mean, imagine if we become aware that we are constantly in that hermitage with Sri Yuteshwar, with Yogananda or with your own guru. I, I think we would behave very differently every day. So something to think about it. If, if late guests detected that Sri Yukteswar was becoming engrossed with the infinite, he quickly engaged them in conversation. He was incapable of striking a pose or of flaunting his inner withdrawal. Always one with the Lord, he needed no separate time for communion. A self-realized master has already left behind the stepping stone of meditation. The flower falls when the fruit appears. But saints often cling to spiritual forms for the encouragement of disciples. Very, very important for us to tune into this because really our guru 
never has he needed to do anything that he did for us never has he needed to show us how to meditate never has he needed to sit there and demonstrate his deep meditations never has he needed to practice yoga asanas to develop energization exercises start organization start an organization create lessons create a you know an, lecturing a, lecturing to people who don't even particularly care what he has to offer nothing that the saint does he needs to do he doesn't need to stay up all night and work hard he doesn't need to show us how much will power it takes to accomplish things and especially in this particular context he doesn't need to be meditating as often and as much as we see in the books we read in the scriptures that saints did meditate all that they do they do for our benefit and here yogananda is bringing our awareness to sri yukteswar's own particular experience here that there was no need for them to find any separate time oh now i have to go be with god they were just always in that state but for the encouragement of the disciples they lived such disciplined lives they lived such clear lives just for our sake and uh, if nothing else that should make us feel all the more okay i need to do this if my guru who didn't need to do this at all did this again and again again and again just so never do i forget how important this is well i need to do this and again as as disciples this is very very important and when you become a disciple the need to try to mirror as much as you can the guru's life not that you know i'm going to start lecturing now but those simple things those everyday things that they did without fail that we need to do as well i was thinking when aryani was talking about the masters being around all the time um we were once visiting a saint in an ashram somewhere and uh, he had asked us to play a few chants and we were chanting and we started with um with a more traditional sanskrit chant and then we did ended doing door of my heart which was you know one of our guru's original compositions and when we finished chanting the saint said to us ah did you see you know just behind you both uh, paramanand yogananda and swami kriyananda were standing when you were chanting the second chant door of my heart and uh, it just right now as narayani was talking it just struck me that he didn't say that they were there throughout when we were doing a, just a more regular chant you know i'm sure they were there it was not like they disappear but when we do something that's you know their unique vibration when we do something that's in perfect perfect attunement with what they have given us boom you know then then they're like right there and we couldn't see them of course you know we didn't have the sight we didn't have that vision but to get that confirmation from somebody else oh didn't you see they were right there and then to know that that wasn't a unique experience and that that's happening all the time every time we do something that is in attunement to the vibration and the consciousness that our guru has given us as our responsibility they are there yogananda used to say to his disciples if you do even 1% of what i 
asking of you to do. You can be free in this lifetime. Just 1% of all this large expressed spectrum of teachings and ways that we can do to uplift ourselves, to change our energy, to take us out of moods and state of consciousness. If we only do 1%, he said, we will be like free in this lifetime. So yeah, one chant can take us can take us out of delusion, one meditation, one good action or seva or helping someone else or reading his books, his teachings. I mean, just one percent. I mean, I think it's a very good bargain. Bargain? A very good bargain. <laughs> <laughs> you give me one percent, yeah, I'll give you freedom. freedom. <laughs> I, I think we could work with that. A night-long philosophical discussion was not rare. Any disciple could summon it by intensity of interest. I love those words. It's not that Sri Yukteswarji would say, okay, it's night time now, let me give you, you know, my, my usual discourse. He did not respond, as, as Ovihai says. He did not strike a pose. He never flaunted his consciousness. But any disciple could summon it by intensity of interest and as disciples we can still keep summoning our guru's wisdom our guru's intuition our guru's consciousness by intensity of interest and this is where all of us fall short in our day-to-day -day lives wherever we are we get so caught up we're we're just like vaguely interested in God, vaguely interested in the spiritual concepts. We're just like, wait a minute, I'm in my, I'm doing my finances, God, this is not your area, you know, I know how these things work, and you know, get out. We separate ourselves. I'm, I'm here with my family, this is, you know, this is different, I'm not with you right now, and we cut out. But if there's intensity of interest in everything we do, you will summon the Guru into that moment, no matter what is going on. And so this is happening in terms of these midnight discourses. I felt no tiredness then, no desire for sleep. Master's living words were sufficient. Oh, it is done. Let us walk by the Ganges. So ended many of my periods of nocturnal edification. Can you imagine this all night long? Shri Yukteswarji just pouring out words of wisdom. It's like, oh, look at the time. It's done. <laughs> Chalo, let's go for our walk. You know, like, oh, well, should we just get some little bit of sleep? Because um, yeah. go ahead. those words, his master says, his living words were sufficient. Just that's what we need. We need to be living on that presence of God and Guru. And what a power. I mean, those words vibrationally could help you know to keep you know your energy so uplifted for so many hours because one thing is just feeling good in that presence and but just keep your mind so uplifted you know and so alert and keep absorbing for so many hours i mean that takes energy for many of you who have a study or right now need to study you know for so many hours the brain at some point stops just can't 
take any more information. But the kind of information that the Guru transfers, you know, through his words, those words carry like that vitality and divine energy that sustains us. I mean, at the cellular level, not only sustains us, but takes us to our next level. I remember at the beginning of uh, coming to Ananda and hearing Swami Kriyananda's words, I didn't understand one single, wo single word in English, but I could feel myself like more and more energetic, more and more uplifted, and it had to do really nothing with the meaning of those words but the vibration that what Swamiji was saying you know had a strength and power that could take you to a very high states of consciousness and it had nothing to do with your willpower nothing to do with us but with that boost that comes from a word that has so much spiritual weight and realization. I mean, what, what the Guru says has just like the power of the universe in that word. That's why we recommend many times for all of you, all of us to keep listening Yogananda's talks because they carry such a power, such weight. I remember there was a period of my life I would go to sleep every single night hearing Yogananda's voice and I would just, you know, fall asleep and I would carry into my subconscious and hopefully then to the superconscious, you know, the power and the energy of his words, his voice, his sound that can really transform and rewire our brain. So if you have not that yet, Yet, I highly recommend it. You know, look for those talks and listen to that powerful sound. But what Narayani is bringing up is a very interesting... You know, we only have a few more minutes and the next se section is a large section about how to outwit a mosquito. So since we won't finish that anyway, let's just pause for a moment and kind of ponder some of these thoughts, especially that of vibration. How important it is to recognize that the spiritual path and especially spiritual teachings are not so much about the theories and the principles themselves, but is a lot about attuning to that vibration that they kind of represent. Whenever Narayani and I talk about this deep desire to create, you know, to find an ashram space here in Mumbai it just it just fills us with so much joy at the very thought that so many of us will be able to be together vibrationally and we think about our own time our earlier brahmacharya days when we had just come to ananda we were just brand new you know <laughs> we knew nothing um, and we didn't have you know, classes, the way perhaps now many of you are experiencing Ananda. Okay, now is your Hongso class, then comes your energization class, the level one, two, three, four. Now I'm going to give you an entire class on the autobiography of a yogi. I mean, nobody was sitting us down and giving us classes. 
the entirety of our ability, our understanding of the spiritual path came through the mixing of vibration with those people who had been doing this longer than we had. Of course, Swamiji was there as well, but Swamiji was not there all the time. I mean, Narayani was more fortunate to be around him uh, far more than many of us were. Uh, but Swamiji, you know, he spent a little couple of months in India, but mostly outside. And even when he was in India, physically, it wasn't like we were getting to see him a lot. But vibrationally, we were getting to feel him a lot through those people who spent time with him. And this is the chain, almost, you can say, of guru-disciple, 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 which is the disciple's responsibility is to carry the Guru's vibration and to share the Guru's vibration with anybody who has any interest in it. And when we think about this ashram, it, it really makes us feel like, you know, that's what we're looking for. We can that's, share more. That's the spirituality we want to express. Not just techniques, not just courses, not just classes. You know, that only makes students. But we want to fill that space with devotees. And that will only happen if we are able to relax away from this concept that spirituality is a teaching and move more into that it's a vibration. And the more I can spend time in that vibration, just as Yoganandaji is showing us, I didn't go to my classrooms, I didn't go here, I didn't go there. Any moment I got, I was at my Guru's feet. Not because Sri Yukteswarji was just expounding theory after theory, principle after principle, scripture after scripture. Most of their time was clean, cook, do this. But it was all happening in the vibration of Sri Yukteswarji. And that is what was transforming the disciples. Now we may not have a Sri Yukteswarji physically, we may not have uh, Paramahansa Yogananda physically, but we have each other. And if we can come and find a place where the intensity of our interest is awakened in that space at least, we will summon the vibration and consciousness of our masters. But uh, it's going to take a lot of us doing that a lot of the time on a daily basis. And you will see how quickly we feel we know we've experienced that spiritual progress will begin to take place in each of us. And we're, we're talking about this selfishly as well, because we want that too. We want to spend time with people who love God and who want God. Even when you are in the presence of the Guru, he really doesn't tell you that much. <laughs> when I was around Swamiji for pretty much 24-7 hours, the last years of his life, he hardly explained to me anything really about the path, about the techniques, about the teachings. I mean, we never spoke of anything related to the path or any specific lesson that I had to learn or I had to keep in mind, except two or three times in that span of four years that he said something that I felt, wow, I really need to remember this forever. He never tell, told me anything specific. Everything that I got, the little I got, 
was just by listening the vibration and by observing him, by how he behaved, how he moved, how he ate. I mean, those things speak volume just by but just being in the presence who has such a harmony within himself and with the world around him and it was only through osmosis that you can get that i mean even sri yudeshwar no matter how many times we listen to his discourses or yogananda it just you will only we will only get in by doing those things that we feel inspired by watching that example yesterday surja and i were talking about why people want to listen to so many discourses so many classes from so many different paths from so many different organizations from so many different topics if then they do nothing about it. I mean, what's the point to intellectually want to know so much if then you don't know how to be kind with your spouse? If you then lose, you know, you have short temper with your kid. I mean, what's the point to know so much? Might as well learn little bites of it and apply daily. And this ashram, more than anything else, will give us the opportunity to practice the teachings in a very practical way. And only then we will know if we are making spiritual progress. Otherwise, it will only remain in the brain. So the more we can put ourselves in a situation where we are forced to practice the teachings outwardly because it's not what we have understood intellectually but how we express that understanding outwardly so yeah we can't wait to materialize to manifest to attract that ashram so please keep this in your prayers yeah we're really counting on each of you don't expect that the masters are just going to do it for us until we show them the intensity of our interest yeah. we won't summon from them <laughs> that power so let's all get really interested in creating this ashram together anyway let's because you know just reading this especially is just like wow you know we need this space we need a place where we could do this together where we could spend time together where we could meditate together but in a very relaxed way you know i'm going to the center and you know it's just this formal reality just no i'm going home i'm going just to go meet a friend and i'll also meditate while and I'm in there. fact probably once you come to the ashram we'll give you many things to <laughs> many things to do that's the fun of it and the beauty of it to serve god with your with like-minded people and with your spiritual family really there is nothing more beautiful than that